0: Anglecocks and bell mouths. Chuck a birthday cake into your firebox. Consolidate your cow catcher. And conductor, I hardly know her. You brought her, you conductor. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are the well-oiled machine that is Feckless Moans. And this is a random nut that... Belonged somewhere, but when you put it back together you have an extra piece. Talk tall to, to me. It's a half-built... Branch line deviating from the light rail mains of Prague rock in which Narrow Gauge Nick and Open Wagon Omen will probe the mud rings of every single track that multiple aspect singling rock band Jethro Tull have ever rolled out from the freight factory. We will hitch a ride on the Martin Bar milk train, pacify the David Pegg pantograph, and diminish the dwell time of Dramotron. And if we can show that indeed we do have a valid multi-week pass that includes mainline, underground, multiple transfers, and bustitution, we may finally begin to understand the dark signals of the electronic engineer, the flautist from the fiddle yard, the Baker Street blast pipe, the semaphore-signaling Scotsman, the runaway rocker, the Grammy-winning go-devil, Ian Axelbox Anderson. Your alliteration is... On fleek, as the kids say. I've, it's been a long journey for me from illiterate to illiterative. <laughs> Very good. Nick, Very good. today we... Omen. W- Hello. Hello. Today we're talking about the penultimate track in terms of our listening experience, but the final track in terms of the CD release. Correct. Well, no, the vinyl release. Sorry, on the 2005 remaster Part of the machine was included. And I think that's probably why I'm so used to. Oh, no. Did we listen? No, we listened to it before. Oh, I'm really confused. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Crest was released simultaneously on LP and CD, but the vinyl omitted the songs Dogs in the Midwinter and The Waking Edge. Oh, wow. I've, I don't think I've noticed that. i got to go back and listen to the vinyl now. Those two tracks were released on vinyl as B-sides to the two singles. Oh, interesting. But in the CD, they included those. In the CD, they included those, but it wasn't until the nineteen, the 2005 remaster when Part of the Machine was released as a bonus track. Correct. So depending on which version you're listening to, this is the ultimate track, the penultimate track, or the... Or the Uber ultimate track. <laughs> it's a little bit like, what was it? Oh, Benefit. Benefit that had like the US version of the track lineup and then the UK version of the track lineup. I had the US version of the cassette and listened to the hell out of that. So when I got the CD and it was the UK version, I was like, this is not, something's wrong here. It's in my, I can feel it in my DNA. And I had the USB version of the cassette, <laughs> which I couldn't even play in my Toyota Corolla. Which is actually very impressive because I'm not sure USB was even a thing back then. <laughs> so today we are talking about Raisins Raising in Steam. Raising Steam. One of my youthful jam out tracks as a as an angsty teenager. Anything to say, Nick, before we take a listen? Just that it's one hell of a, a closer for the album. I'll say that for sure. Let's get closer than ever. <laughs> toot toot. mcgill raisin steam omen said what it's it just gives me such a feeling of hope this song it always has yeah really it does yeah huh not to talk about my feelings well i mean first time for everything <laughs> is this a song that that has particularly resonated with you before i know this album is is one that you maybe listened to a little less than i did back in the day But do you have any emotional connection to this song? The album as a whole, yes, like it is, it is important to me, but this song is kind of the least important to me, I would say it doesn't really, it kind of, it's like, it's a nice, it's a nice wrap up, but it feels kind of disposable. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to let you know that it is actually recyclable. Oh great. And you've been doing it wrong all this time. <sighs> so bad for the environment. <laughs> my carbon footprint is just massive. This song is for me the pairing of Waking Edge and this song mm. formed part of my morning ritual for, for a good couple of months at least when I was in high school. I would listen to them both back to back. I, it's a it's a killer combo. I mean, we talked about it last episode too. Like it's so perfect. They work well together. Well, and not only musically, but also thematically. There's something very the juxtaposition of the two songs is really powerful, I think. Okay. Let's talk about the music. What do we have at play in this song? What are the what are the elements of it? Well, we've got some serious rock. I mean, we've had a lot of picking and stinging from Martin the last couple of songs, yeah. but he's like he's off the leash on this one. He's evolved to his final form. Ian took the collar off at the dog park and just just let him go. And he rolled in everything he could find. He sniffed all of the butts. <laughs> he gave him enough Dynamax berries to power him up all the way. Oh, yeah. He's massive now. He's massive. And so powerful. It's, it really is cool. And you're absolutely right. In the rest of the album, there is a sense of, of Martin being restrained, of really knowing, choosing his moments really strategically... Mm-hmm. In this, it's just full force. He he plays pretty much the whole time from start to finish. Yeah, he's a lot of he's a lot of accent in previous songs. He's really like he's the body here. Yes, yes, he's the full backbone body of this song, and it's great. It's really lovely to hear it back. Just before the two minute mark, we hear his short but powerful solo, and it's just exquisite. You know all sort of all sorts of things about short but powerful, don't you, Omen? It's it's been my brand my entire life. <laughs> Around 2.15, shortly after that solo, when the singing starts again, we have an amazing Martin Makes the Guitar Scream. It's and there's a lot of overdrive that he's employing in this song. It's just cranked up. It's cranked up, and, and I don't know the technical... I don't know enough about electric guitar stuff to speak intelligently about it, but that's never stopped me before. You plug it into the wall. <laughs> get your steam boiler going. The ghosts of electricity come through <laughs> and they frighten everything. But overdrive is, is when you put a distortion purposely on the guitar that makes it sound cool. Yes. Martin's signature cool sounding overdrive. He's got the cool dialed all the way in. Definitely so, yeah. For being a... a a quiet little man. He's he's got the cool in spades. I love the end where he does that. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, so cool. Other instruments. There is a manically maniacally drummed tambourine. Yes. Or, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's so so shaky, it's so good. <laughs> And I suspect that that is Mr. Ian Anderson. Oh, you think so? I do. you think it's twisted, not actually drummed? I think it's so fast, it feels like it's being drummed. The drumming on this song is presented by the synthetic drum machine. Oh, so I guess that would be. Or maybe you could probably get that out of the, the drum machine, right? You, you could, but I, yeah. to my ear, what it sounds like happened is that Ian spent three days in a dark room programming the drum m- machine. About four days programming the synth in the same dark room, he came out of his hole looking like Rip Van Winkle. (sighs) Looking like early age Ian Anderson. Right. (laughs) And then they played the song and then he listened to it back and was like, there's just one thing missing. Someone should play the tambourine as if their life depends on it. (laughs) He drank... A gallon of coffee, smoked an entire pack of cigarettes, and then just went to town on it. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I love the enthusiasm with which the tambourine is played. <laughs> that's, that's that's the best way to put it. The enthusiasm with the tambourine, perfect. You know, and people people think that playing something like the triangle or the tambourine is is easy. You know, it's an instrument that is made fun of or disregarded as not even a real instrument. It is hard. I have played. I have played a tambourine before, Nick. The tambo in particular, you can't get much out of a, a triangle, but there's a lot of nuance to a tambourine that you can do. More than the layperson would think, yes. Exactly, yeah. Speaking of Ian programming things, the fair light in the background, that mechanical synth sound. Yeah. Really, really fun. Works really well with the theme. Helps keep the drive of the song just rolling along, kind of in the background. That's that's the flavor to Martin's overall body of of the song. Yeah, it's I love it. I it's very intricate. It would be very interesting to see it written down on a piece of sheet music to try to. Fi- oh, to my lord! To f- f- yeah, figure out what actually is going on with that synth because there's a lot going on there. It's like it's sixteenth notes the entire way, maybe thirty second notes. Yeah, it's super fast. And they've got to just be going like up and down like a mountain range or like a like an electrocardiogram just all over the place. It's really, really fun. And it brings that element of, it brings a more digital sound to it, which which yeah. weirdly works in this song. I, I, I feel like this song combines so many things, but one of the things that I'm sure we'll talk about is the effect of technology on the world. Right, yeah. The idea of a steam train is kind of one of a very simple basic technology compared to the trains nowadays and yet he he really does bring in that sound of of modern and it really it does work and the the jump from we didn't have any trains to a steam train was massively transformative for for entire for humanity yeah they didn't have train tracks for another 30 years but they that train was skidding. ready were <laughs> <laughs> cows were decimated <laughs> drifting up Oh, Shiba's drifting the train again. You know, Tokyo drift on that train. (laughs) That forms one of the central plot points of, not the bit about there not being train tracks, that's just silly. (laughs) But the whole train, trains being introduced to the world, that moment of history forms one of the big plot points or, or settings of Around the World in 80 Days. Oh, cool. The whole idea of that novel is that there's a bunch of distinguished English gentlemen sitting around in their whist club. And one of them says, wow, you know, with all these new trains and steamships, he makes this absurd statement, which is you could you could almost imagine someone traveling around the entire world in 80 days. As if to say, like, you could run around the world in a minute. Like it's being extremely hyperbolic. Mm-hmm. And Phineas Fogg looks up from his newspaper and says, well, it is possible. You could do it. It says, hold my beer. It literally they he he's like he's like no you could do that and somebody's like no you couldn't and they and he says i will bet you and because they're english gentlemen they they say well yes of course i'll take that bet and he said (laughs) and they finish the the, the game of whists and he finishes his tea and then he sets it down and says well i'm off to pack i will be back in 80 days and spoiler alert does he make it spoiler alert you'll have to read the book spoiler alert you haven't read the book spoiler alert i have but there's a twist ending (laughs) i don't want to spoil it oh okay Okay. It's not so simple to answer. He dies, but his corpse makes it back in 80 days. The real journey was the friends he made along the way. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. Actually, he does get married. Um, oh, great. <laughs> but this this song seems to exist at this... Part of the reason I like it so much is is that that feeling that Ian captures of being on a, a freight train mm-hmm. could as equally translate to being on a clipper ship or a spaceship. Sure, yeah. Or your first pony. My first pony. My Fisher-Price first pony. Nick's little pony. And the the juxtaposition, like you said, of that that highly regulated digital synth and Martin's just soul-stretching electric playing, it really provides that feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like the sound a lot. It's very fun. David Pegg, very serviceable in this song. David Pegg playing the bass as he does. Yeah, it doesn't stand out to me very much, but perhaps if I listen to it on better headphones, it would stand out to me more. There's a lot going on. It's pretty difficult to hear. I think that he's supporting Martin for the most part. Yeah. By this point in the album, he's so tired that he's just like, he's on autopilot. He's like, I got to take a step back here. Yeah, I can't, I can't handle this. And that's when Martin's like, I'll do it. Let me play the guitar, please. I will play it as rough as a nightingale. <laughs> I'll give it butterfly kisses. <laughs> Nick, anything else to say musically about this song? Nothing else musically for me. I think we can jump into our halfway portion. Let us jump halfway in. Halfway Here we are, halfway through this episode. Omen. Nick? Wake up. Wake up, Here I Omen. Am. Are we there? Okay. We have a an email to discuss today from a returned writer inner, Henrik... Henrik writes back in because just this past week was the She Said She Was a Dancer episode in which we talked about his email where he mentioned the trees, the planted trees with speakers playing rock and roll music. Yes, indeed. The old rock and roll. Henrik writes in, Dear Nick and Omen, I listened to She Said She Was a Dancer and of course I could not let your wishes be unfulfilled. We speculated on what the music was and what the trees were. Right. Right. He says, the trees are all oak trees, winter oak, they're called in Denmark, or cherry trees. Each artist only plants one tree, so for return visits, no new tree. I enclose the Danish sign explanation for Omen to read in his nearly fluent Danish or Scandinavian, the same sign in English, a picture of part of the Singing Trees Park, the Jethro Tull Tree, and a video of the Jethro Tull Tree playing, and I'll put the audio for the tree playing in right. Wait for it. Here it comes. It's right here. And then he wraps up with, The songs change during Christmas, meaning from the 1st of December. The artists who have made Christmas songs will be changed to these. And there is a party in the park when they change the songs for Christmas. I wonder what tall Christmas song there is. There's quite a selection now at this point. So many to choose from, I know. Thank you so much, Henrik. That is super helpful and super valuable. We greatly appreciate this little tidbit. It kind of looks like a when the picture was taken, clearly there are no leaves on the trees, so it looks a little barren. But, I mean, it's a tree with these little black things jutting out of the ground, maybe like three feet high. They look like weird, futuristic memorials. Yeah, they do. It's a little strange. The Jethro Tall one says 14 April 2010... So that must be when that was planted. Yeah. And it just says Jethro Tull and it plays Locomotive Breath. You know, I, I can't wait for the update when you press the button and it projects a holograph of the entire band leaping around. A hologram? A holograph. What's a holograph? What's a hologram? A holograph is a manuscript handwritten by the person <laughs> named as its author. <laughs> Hologram means entire picture because its image is three dimensional. Yeah, yeah, one of those. <laughs> yes, yeah. Take take your. There pick. it is. One it, of them. It'll be a surprise. It could be silent singing just pops up. Silent singing comes out, and you get to read it when you push the holograph button. <laughs> so I will read the English version, and Omen will maybe read a snippet of of the Danish version. Ever since November 1987, when Sir Cliff Richard planted the park's first tree before he gave his concert in Alberg Congress and Culture Center, many famous international stars have left living reminders of their visits to Alberg. The park grew over the following years. In 2011, it was reorganized with many of the trees replanted, including the Cecil Oaks, which were the first to be planted, and more recent, Wild Cherry Trees. The park of music with the singing trees has no equivalent anywhere in the world. The idea was created by the managing director of AKKC, Ernest Trillingsgard, who wanted the international stars to leave more than just a signature in the visitors' book. The park of music is unique from Aalberg with its many celebrities such as Sting, Hansi Hinterseer, John Cleese, Stevie Wonder, Joe Cocker, Oscar Peterson, Prince, Bob Dylan, Victor Borg, Curie Te Kanawa, Tom Jones, Elton John, Beyonce, Sting, Andrea Bocelli, and many others. At each tree, a little medley of artists' most famous music can be heard. How did John Cleese manage to get his way in there? I was wondering that. Maybe, like, I mean, they sing a lot in Monty Python. Could be, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to translate for all of our Danish and Norwegian listeners. I'll do my very best attempt at reading the sign in Danish. Perfect. Parken Voksede, genium flair altilier og blev i 2011, Om glatt sa den i dag fremstar, fremstar, med bad nolgi alf de galmle, fintreg og de nye, flugel kir And that is as much as I will offend anyone today. That was just a, a recipe for red velvet cupcakes, that was, that was me clearing my throat. Now I'm ready to read. <laughs> now let's do the Danish. <laughs> That's fabulous. Thank you so much, Eidnrich, for sending us all those tasty treats. It is truly through the ears and eyes of you, our listener, that we are able to find ourselves standing in all of the tall places. Yes, you are the trees that make up our musical forest. We are the branches to your roots. Fruits to branches. Nick, here we are in the textual portion of the podcast. Before we dive into the text itself, I would love to take us on a little eye-to-ear journey and describe a photograph that is in the tall tome Silent Singing. Please. Please choo-choo on into my ears. Presumably clicked by... One, Mr. Ian Anderson, there is a striking black and white photo alongside the text of Raising Steam, which features a, a really gorgeous steam engine moving full tilt with the stream tailing behind it into one of those brick archways that we talked about some time ago on Journeyman, I think. That sounds right, yeah. The train is... It looks massive, and it kind of looks like a big beetle, hmm. with a carapace like an armored carapace, and then underneath you see the weight, the wheel formation. I realized as I was researching the triptych that the different positioning of the wheels, you know, whether it's little, little, big, big, little, or if it's little, 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 little big, big, that determines what type of a train it is. That oh, cool. There are all the, all those different designs, mm-hmm. and it's. It's gorgeous. It has a big plaque on the front of it that says Union of South Africa, but it very much looks like it's in England. The blurb underneath says, Raising Steam. This streamlined A4-class locomotive is steaming at speed on one of its final runs before decommissioning in 2020. It was to be the last operating example of that classic design by Sir Nigel Greasley. The most famous of the A4 engines was the Mallard, which still holds the world's record, set in 1936 for fastest steam train at 126 miles per hour. That's pretty fast. So, this is a classic old train that obviously was kept running for a long time. I mean, you can feel its charisma coming through the photograph. It's making duck face and posing seductively. It makes me want to smoke. <laughs> Steam. Makes you want to steam. It makes me want to steam. It makes me want to be coal fired. <laughs> I think we can address the steam powered elephant in the room and say this is a song about trains. Trains! Trains! I feel like it's been a while since we've had a train song, right? It's been a fairly trainless album thus far. For a while, we had a run of trainless tunes, but this is. We had a walk. This is, we had a, a, an amble. We finally have that intersection of. Ian's love of trains and Ian's sexy love songs together. Oh, interesting. And social commentary. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. It's all it's the perfect package. So were you not going to tell me that the train is a euphemism here? (laughs) Well, I think it is normally you do. (laughs) I think it is a euphemism, but I don't think it's a euphemism for a penis. Oh, I know. Is it a euphemism for progress? let's find out together let's find out boys and girls over high plains through the snow roll those tracks out don't you know i'm raising steam thin vein creeping hot blood flow spill a little where the new towns grow over high plains through the snow This, to me, shockingly, did not make me think of sex. It made me think of the Manifest Destiny. Expansion. Expansion. Thank yeah. you. Train tracks rolling out, the railroad companies building their lines, and what the effect of those lines was on the community of peoples whom they connected, whom they disconnected, and mm-hmm. whom they reorganized. Yeah. And and probably the communities that grew up around it too. Absolutely. That weren't there, yeah. That's absolutely right. You know, spill a little where the neutrons grow. There are certain distances, one imagines, that are too far for a train to go on a single load of coal, or without taking on extra snacks or something. And where, you know, what a location that may previously have been just a couple of inhabitants could now be a, a real place yeah the industry that is brought by making it a train stop allows it to expand and can hold economically hold businesses and more people and, and all of that exactly and i and did you just say this and because of the traffic that's coming through yeah you, I, you yeah. did just say that yeah i never listen when you speak because I, I know i don't want it to influence my my thoughts it's like Martin not listening right. to any guitar music, yeah. I never listen to any human speech because it, I, I don't want my, my syntax to be adjusted. Completely original, yeah. If you look at a map of the United States, certain places, you know, probably shouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they didn't before industry came, yeah. Or, or they existed in a, in a very modest fashion. Or they existed because of a river and then were reinforced. You know, if you're at the crossroads between a major river and a major train track, wow. Yeah, you won the lottery there. You won the train lottery. (laughs) Well, even someplace like Des Moines, there's nothing there. Does it have a train track going through it? Well, it has a river. Okay, that was a bad example. (laughs) I rode lots of trains in my youth because I had nothing better to do and no money. You're saying to get back and forth from, from school? Oh, yeah, school. But also when I lived in Chicago, I took the train back and forth from Chicago to up, oh, yeah. upstate New York. Oh, yeah, that's right. I wouldn't call that your youth, but yeah. I, it's more, <laughs> more, more, more when I was more youthful than I am now. Fair enough, yeah. And I was always just fascinated by the perspective that you get on a place mm. traveling by train versus driving or flying. Yeah. You see things differently. You can actually see the landscape, really. Yeah, I the times I've taken trains, I kind of enjoy them. They're kinda of nice. Trains. trains trains. There's something peaceful about it, you know. It's it's a relatively smooth ride. And you do get that environment that you don't get. I mean, I guess you would get it on a bus, but there's blech, blech. <laughs> I mean you get a window on a bus, but yeesh. You can get you can get tetanus on a bus. Also that, yeah. We've talked a lot before about how passenger trains are not as well invested in as they could be here in the States. Mm -hmm. But trains have had a a massive effect on the American culture. One of the interesting things about living in Chicago is, is realizing how much cultural exchange there is with New Orleans. Oh, interesting. And the only reason for that is because one of the first major train routes in that area went from Chicago. I mean, Chicago was a big hub for trains. But one train route connected Chicago to New Orleans. That was the other terminus. Hmm. And so lots of people from New Orleans would move up to Chicago, taking advantage of that train and, so, and bringing music and culinary culture with them. Wow. There's this constant kind of transmission of culture between those two cities. Yeah. Back to the narrator, the singer of our song. He may have done just that. I got my whole life hanging in a sack, heading out into that wide worldwide wide you got your locomotive sitting on your track, and I don't care which way I ride, I may not be coming back. I've got my whole life hanging in a sack Getting out to take that white blood fight You've got your locomotive sitting on your track And I don't care which way I ride I may not be coming back Yeah, evocative of the image of the hobo yeah, the sack, hanging in a sack. Yeah, the little, the bindle. Yeah. Oh, bindle. That's a good word. Yeah. Is that the actual word for that thing? Yeah. Yeah, the the, the stick and the, I guess it's like a handkerchief or something hanging from the end of it. It's a bindle. It's like you lost half of your you. <laughs> it's, it could have been a bundle. Could have been a bundle. I could have been a bundle. That Larry David doing, oh, on the waterfront. That's what it is. On the waterfront. I could have been a contender. It's Fiddler on the Waterfront. Yes, there we go. Could have been a contender. I could have been a moil. So yeah, he's taking advantage of the expansion of the laying of the tracks. He's leaving his little podunk town to get someplace he probably never could have gotten before the train. It's a little bit reminiscent of the song Rover from Heavy Horses. But Rover's a bit more like I'm following the, the lady I love as opposed to this one is... Pretty much the opposite I mean the next the, the start of the next verse Is left a lady With a heart All in pieces Come apart Raising steam mm, Interesting Left a lady With a heart all in pieces Come apart Raising steam So yeah This is It's funny that you pick up On the, the lady aspect Of this song Because that's That's a part that I almost Entirely have ignored My whole life hmm. Left a lady With a heart All in pieces Come apart Raising steam That engine up front Must have a heart Big enough for the both of us Wow What a cool set of images. So he's leaving behind a heartbroken lover. Uh Uh-huh. But it's okay because the engine has enough emotional capacity to right the wrongs that he has caused. I mean, I think he's just acknowledging that he's kind of heartless in doing this. Oh, you know, oh, oh, oh. The engine must have a heart big enough for it and me because I have no heart. Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That line reminds me a little bit. There's an old American folk line my father has a chain 10 miles long and on every link a broken heart he's hung, something like that. My daddy is a handsome devil He's got a chain five miles long And on every link a heart does dangle of another maid, he's loved and wrong. So then we have kind of the bridge riding shotgun on the sunset, stare it in the eye. The sunset, in the eye. Similar to the, the same melody as I've Got My Whole Life Hanging in a Sack. Yeah. Rocking on my heels out to the west. Funny how the whole world historically feels the urge to chase the sun to rest. We may not be coming back. Riding shotgun the sun to rest not back. Okay, this is, what, this is what I wanted to get to. <sighs> Give it to me. So it's interesting, you you know, in the previous verse, he says, I, "And I don't care which way I ride, but then he specifically says that he's going west. Yeah, but is that just like coincidence like that just happens to be the way that he's going? It could be. It could be. But also especially in American in the American context. And and for me it's hard to view this song as anything but American. Yeah, right. Despite the fact that of course every other country in the world practically has trains and England had its own locomotive revolution. Mm-hmm. So this could well be, you know, set in England, but given the American flavor of this album, I have set it in my imagination in America the west represents that expansion that that sense of exploration that manifest destiny right even coming from europe going west means finding a new life go west young man yeah that i mean we we have we as americans have certainly been been conditioned to to think of that the westward expansion lewis and clark whatever i i do i'm genuinely curious about how that is contextualized in the uk you know well, I think that you know, at least in a historic sense, which is seems to be what he's referencing here, mm-hmm. there was that European urge to go west to find what was beyond the the seemingly infinite Atlantic. Oh, 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 so not necessarily on a train, obviously, over the Atlantic, but but there was still that urge, right, to expand. right. I think the I think the jump in imagery is, I'm riding into the sunset, you know, staring a dead in the eye, heading west. Wow, mm. that is in relation to the entire world's historical impulse to chase the sun to rest. Gotcha. I mean, he goes all the way back to mythology. This is what I love so much about his writing is he, he takes this literal moment and then stretches it back all the way to the beginning of time when humankind first saw the sun setting and thought, where does it go? <laughs> well, I yeah, I mean, that line is so really interesting just in the sense that there's like, there's this interjection. Funny how the whole world historically feels the urge to chase the sun to rest. Funny how the whole world historically feels the urge to chase the sun to rest. It's, oh. That's a very Jethro Tull moment there. It really is. It's really, it's such a good moment though. This is where I should put in a three syllable word. <laughs> <laughs> Just to add really specific context. Historically. Historically, it could work without it. Totally fine. Funny how the whole world feels the urge to chase this under arrest. yeah. Totally fine. But historically, just so we know, I'm talking about... I don't mean metaphysically. <laughs> I don't mean presently. I mean, it's always been happening. I don't mean in the context of literature. <laughs> just the facts. So then we get into what could possibly be regarded as sexy yes correct let me be your engineer have you smiling ear to ear uh, raising steam steam. wink wink there's actually the, the wink emoticons there yeah you can hear it in his voice yeah yeah it's there and will you tell me how it feels when you're up and rolling on your driving wheels? You know, I think that we have a, a bit of a double entendre or a, a thematic manifold metaphor. Okay. Steam. Right. Steam is what powers the locomotive. I believe it's probably where the term. I've run out of steam, you know, when you're tired, when you're worn out. Absolutely. That's where it comes from. But also to get steamy. Mm-hmm. Is to get steamy is sexy time. To get steamed up is angry, actually. Yeah. But yeah. Yep. No, you're right. To get back to getting steamy, because this is getting steamy. And raising steam is, in the train context, getting up a head of steam is boiling enough water so that the pressure in the tank gets up to the point where it can start actually moving the wheels. So you have to right. get all that pressure up before you can start going anywhere. Right. So you're raising the pressure of the, the steam. It's just shortened to raising steam. Yeah. But raising steam could also be getting hot under the collar, getting hot and bothered. Hot under the collar is also angry. English is bothered. a very confusing <laughs> no. language, right? Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's creating the steam, getting, getting yourself or someone else to that boiling point. Let me be your engineer. Woof. So, yeah. I mean, in the relationship between engineers and trains... Trains! Trains. There's a a very... By, you know, just the nature of it is, is somewhat sensual. Mm-hmm. You're literally up against the hot engine. Sure. Monitoring it. Reading its singles. Reading its signals. Listening to its singles. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to... Ooh, new single just dropped. You are powerhousing through the countryside in a giant phallic object. It's a bit phallic, isn't it? Yeah. Hard to imagine something more phallic Mm -hmm. than a steam train. A rocket ship, maybe? I mean, it's on par with it. Steam-powered rocket ship? Yes. Yep. Phineas Fogg, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, is this the story of the sexy philosophical hobo? Is he philosophically a hobo? Or is he a hobo who is philosophical? uh, I'm sorry, the sexy hobo philosopher. There we go. I mean, maybe, but not like, I think he's newly hobo, you know? I don't think he's like got a beard down to his knees and and has patches. He hasn't earned his bow. Yeah, he's just a (laughs) hoe. He's got a training bindle and (laughs) he hasn't earned his badges yet for eating beans out of a can and jumping onto a moving train yet. He's still in training training. He's got his training wheels for train jumping. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> yeah. Doing. I know. It, there's something there. It's but it's too hard to get any further. Do you think that it, do you in your imagination obviously we don't really know, you know, is if this is an experienced hobo who had a who had a romantic entanglement and is now moving on down the line, moving on down the line. That's a train reference. Yeah. Or is this a kind of I know it'll solve all my problems. I'll jump on a train and not pay for it. Oh, oh, so is Is it present tense or future tense, almost? Theoretical tense. Where is the excitement coming from? Is the excitement of this train ride coming from the the fact that it's the first time you're experiencing it? Or is it the excitement of it being the thousandth time that you're experiencing it and just loving that this is your life? To me, it's a newer experience. I think that leaving the lady with the broken heart is... The wound is still fresh. I think he's... I think he's probably two stops down the line. He's really excited about <laughs> this life that he's. He just he's got on chosen. the train. It hasn't even started going. Yeah. Yeah. She's crying out there and he's just trying to ignore her. It's like, oh, I hope they chuck some more coal in. This, this is, is awkward. Let's get the steam going. Come on, guys. I found another sexy line. Okay. Give it to me. I'll be your locomotive blowing off its stack and I don't yeah. care which way I ride. <laughs> There's a number of ways you can interpret that. It is coal-packed with euphemism. Yes. I think that what I always took from this song is more than the specifics of why is he on the train, who is he left behind, all of that. What I take from this song is that sensation of harnessing the power of a man-made object and that filling you with that kind of confidence and excitement for the future when i listen to the song i always get excited about my future it's like i'm on the train of life oh and i don't know which way i'm riding and oh my god it's so cool that's really what you took way back in high school from the beginning of hearing this song yeah that's nice i like that which means it's a bit difficult to change my opinion on it now because it was imprinted so long ago oh of course yeah we've had a couple of those where i've just been like i like that a lot but i'm never gonna think like it that (laughs) think about it like that (laughs) How many steam trains do you think are currently in use in the world in the in the United States? Let's just go in the states. Well, I know there's a couple of them. There's one that runs up from Utica in in New York up to the Adirondacks. Oh, sure, yeah, a leaf peeper train where they they serve you champagne and wine. You can go and look at the leaves. Sounds nice. I know that there are some other historical steam trains that are still in usage of that sort that are kind of touristy. And I think that there are also some for just historical purposes. So functioning, I would say, I would say between between 75 and 100. According to Heritage Rail Alliance. That sounds reputable as it does. As of December 7th, 2020, the article I found is that there are somewhere around 200 operating steam locomotives in North America. Oh, look at that. And it's actually rising because of museums and restorers are rebuilding. Oh my gosh. Steam hipster engineers. Steam trains are the vinyl of the uh, of the <laughs> of the transportation world. Yep. I'm gonna listen to my vinyl, then hop on my penny farthing and cycle over to the, train the, station. the steam train. <laughs> yep. Bring my record player with me. <laughs> yes, of course. Porter, can you make room for a photograph? Just give me your ticket, dude. <laughs> It's got the, the curly mustache. It's going to Jersey City. It's not that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and just another, like, I've literally, we literally cannot say enough about trains. I, oh, Ian. Ian apparently can't no. say enough about trains. No, and that's, that's something that we have in common with him. <laughs> the train is so ingrained into the psyche of the 20th and even 21st century. You see it all the time in literature, in art, in songs, even Star Trek trains show up. Hmm. I have a literature recommendation. Oh, yes, please. For everybody involving trains. It is called The Half-Made World. Ooh. By Felix Gilman. And it's it's a fantasy. It's not like like historical or anything. But it's, it's basically this continent is people are moving west. And they consider that the Half-Made World. And there's like magic and spirits. And there are these two opposing factions, the gun which are basically these kind of super-powered cowboys who are powered by the spirits that live in their guns. And the line, which is kind of these demons that got dug up in mines and kind of possess locomotives, Hmm. and they're constantly in combat. It is one of my all-time favorite books. I just reread it not too long ago. And the worst part is the sequel was Awful. Oh no. It was terrible because it had nothing to do with those spirits. It just was a, basically a story of a passing character that we saw early in the first book. Oh. It was very depressing. But The Half Made World is one of my favorite books. The yeah. 175th episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, 23rd episode in the seventh season, is called Emergence. And it, it is. details the spawning of a new artificial intelligence which is working through its own subconscious of its existence using the holodecks, using a uh, train as its central metaphor. Mm. A lot of metaphors in Star Trek, right? A lot of metaphors in life, Nick. Mm. Star mm. Trek is a part of life. Star, our life is like Star Trek in that it has a lot of metaphors. <laughs> yes, yes. And, ooh, so poetic. So good. Anything else to say about raising steam, Nick? Trains 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 Next week we are talking the final track off of this album, bonus track, etc., etc. Do you know what it is? I mean, you know what it is. I do, but in a a more truer way, I don't remember what it is. It's part of the machine. Part of the machine, yes. I have heard it, and I'm excited to talk tall about it next week. Until next week, we don't care which way you ride, as long as you're giving us a five-star rating and review while you do it on Apple Podcasts, and or any other podcatcher of your choosing that accepts reviews. The Discord, which is accessible by becoming a Patreon member, has a heart big enough for all of us. (laughs) Period. End of sentence. (laughs) Until next week, I'll be your locomotive blowing off its stack, Nick McGill. I'm the thin vein creeping, Omen Thomas said. We have you smiling ear to ear, the feckless momes. And we'll spill a little where the new towns grow, talk tall to me. But Philip, what do you mean you have to leave? What, what about our, our home? We we just settled down. Kimberly, I feel like our relationship has just I'm afraid it's kind of gone off the rails, you know? But, but what do you mean we we just we just bought a house, a little bungalow on on Frederick Street and, and your your job seems to be going so well. How could you how could you leave all that behind? It's like someone pulled the air brake on this relationship. I feel like we've hit a dead end and we used to be so communicative and now i'm just getting a dark signal from you i i don't understand all this all this train talk it it makes it hard to know what's going on philip are are you saying that i i'm not sensitive enough if you look at this relationship as say a passenger train yes yes there's only a control car one control car in this relationship, and I feel like I'm doing all the work. I'm pushing and pulling the cars in this train. I remember when we first met, it was like an electrical current passed through me, almost as if I had touched the, what do you call it, the fifth rail. I'm gonna let that slide. (laughs) Kim, we've had this talk before. I feel like, if anything, we, we've not built up a head of steam once we made this decision. I feel the drag of this train, and we are only moving at a slow speed, getting nowhere. Are you just not attracted to me anymore? Do you not love me? And do you feel like you, you just can't love a woman that looks like me? Well, I, I don't want to talk about your caboose, but let me just say that my heart is like a firebox, and you are no longer the boiler man. Shoveling in the coal to power me and my feelings. Philip, it's so hurtful. I knew ever since I saw those magazines under the bed that it, there would be a problem in our relationship. You, you, you saw you, you saw trains monthly. Oh, yes. Oh yes, Philip, I know all about your holes and your hot box and your humps and your injector widths. I can never compete. The thing is, Kim, if you did know about them, maybe we could communicate. Maybe we could be on the same level. But I'm afraid we can't. Do you want me to dress up like a porter? I'll wear the hat. I'll do anything you want. I think it's safe to say that at this point, we are no longer two trains meeting. We are passing our separate ways. We're not even crossing anymore. Kim, it's it's done. Why don't you just get out of here? Why don't you just leave? Get on the 845! It's 843 now, you can still make it! But there's one thing, there's one thing, Philip, that a train will never give to you. I would love to know what that is. No matter how superheated it gets, no matter if it's a Texas type or a tank car, I hope when you're out there on the rails, you think of me whispering into your ear in the middle of the night, Talk tell to me is a proud member of Feckless Moan's audio network. <laughs> G- Goodbye, Kim!